Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're going to be kicking off a brand new series, a refreshing summer series called Summer Playlist. And this is week one, so I'm glad that you're here today. We just finished up our Immerse series where we've been reading through the Psalms and some of the wisdom books and poetry books. And that's been such a great series. Uh, And we touched on Psalms at the beginning, so some of you have already been reading through the Psalms. But we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive as we continue in the Psalms to look at various types of Psalms and how they relate to our lives. So I hope you're encouraged by it. A psalm is a song, and when we have a group of psalms together, we end up with this songbook or a playlist, if you will, that helps us to process through the real pieces of our life. Now, I don't know how many of you love making playlists. I love listening to Spotify because I can create all different kinds of playlists that fit different kinds of moods, different kinds of seasons that remind me of songs I used to love, listen to, or even songs. I have a 1930s, 40s instrumental playlist. I didn't live in the 1930s and 40s. But I love listening to it because it feels nostalgic. And the playlists that I develop are playlists that are for me. They reflect the season that I'm in, the season of life I'm in, maybe the mood I'm in, maybe a memory that, I'm, that I remember. And I can, I can tell you exactly the place or the, the space I was in or who I was with when I heard the song. Songs mark significant occasions, times of loss, times of celebration. It's all in there. And the Psalms are like that. Um, the brain science behind music is so powerful to know how we can even use that. If you want to learn something, set it to music because it sticks with us in ways that, that help us move forward. Well, the Psalms is a songbook. It's, it's a songbook of, of music that the people of God used to help them learn the word of God, the ways of God, to express themselves wholly in prayer and in worship. And it was a unifier And so our summer playlist is going to look at some of these songs that influenced and shaped the people of God in the Bible and us too over time. And just as we sing when we gather weekly, people across the ages have been using music and psalms and prayers to help us express our heart to God. The psalms are special. Many of us love to read them because they communicate what's in our heart as we're responding to real life. Some are beautiful and poetic comforting and refreshing. Others are raw, confrontive, filled with a a range of complex emotions and conversations and questions that sometimes we don't always want to ask, but we're glad somebody did ask the question because we can read it later and uh, find a sense of comfort that somebody else has felt the same way that we feel. Emily P. Freeman in her podcast, The Next Right Thing, says that the Psalms don't tell us how to live. They reveal the many ways we respond to life. They are songs and poems written by those who are angry, heartbroken, bereft, elated. The words in the Psalms are not a rule book, but a refuge, a record, a reality of human life in all its complexity. The Psalms are proof that God can handle all of what we are, what we feel, what we long for, even when what we long for might be revenge or destruction. The words of the Psalms are not meant to be prescriptive for life but proof of life. And she continues to say people lived, they wept, they rallied, they praised. They needed comfort and wisdom and beauty and strength, and so do we. In the Psalms, we see how people experienced God as one who hides, as one who stays silent, who waits too long, offends us, surprises us, and doesn't always speak in the ways we expect. The God who makes all things new, the God who stoops down, weeps and delights, and the God who, like a mom, 
like a mother comforts her little ones. We're looking for God in the cracks of our lives, in the wide open spaces of our joys, in the painful fissures of our brokenness. In the Psalms, we see that happening, and there could be tension in all of this, holy tension, maybe, good disruption, hopefully. There can be a wrestling, a challenge, affirmation, love, and a lot of this, all of it maybe, is evidenced in the writing of the Psalms. I love the way she expresses that. And that's why we're going to take some time to go through that, because we want not only to have our spirits refreshed, but we want to have a renewed sense of, of language and, and a way of expressing ourselves to help us pray and to worship authentically. Uh, many years ago, we were in a room in a meeting uh, with that was a little bit contentious, and a particular member of that team was in the room, and uh, when asked for feedback on a topic, uh, all of us got quiet. We didn't really want to say what was really on our minds, and we just waited in this kind of awkward moment as feedback was called for, and everybody was trying to weigh out, is should we do this, or should we even say anything? And everybody was like, I'm not saying it. I'm not going first. And then finally, one, one brave soul raised his hand and said, well, all right, I'll go first, and laid into it. And of course, it, it didn't go so well for him, and we were all really glad that we didn't speak up first. But there's a category of psalms that's kind of like that friend that says, I'll go first. And they say what's on their mind. And this is kind of a big category in the psalms. These are the psalms of lament. The laments are powerful. In fact, a third of the psalms, a third, 50 of them, are laments. Um, so this is quite a large category that we have to look at. And I love the laments in the Psalms because they give us language as well as a roadmap to move us from out of our despair through a life of prayer and thanksgiving. And so this is one of those categories. There are typical elements of a lament. Not all of these may be in every single one, as we'll see in just a moment. But these are typically the elements you will see in a lament. And we see this very clearly in Psalm 13, only six verses, but it illustrates this so well. Addressing God, lamenting or complaining about what I or we are experiencing, confession, Sometimes it's that pouring out the heart. I just got to get everything that's in my heart out into the open. And sometimes it's a confession, God, I'm innocent. Or God, I'm guilty. Like you see in Psalm 51. Confession, petition, what do you want or desire? What do you want God to do about it? What are you asking for? And then it turns to a confession of trust in God. There's a turning point that we have to get to in the midst of our circumstances that say, I don't get it. I've poured out everything yet. Or nevertheless, but still. Those are frequently the, the key words that you will see in a psalm that indicate that turn toward trust. And at times, it's a back and forth. I trust you, God, but this, this, this. But I trust you, God, but why don't you just do this? But I trust you, God. And sometimes it's this back and forth. And sometimes I feel that way too. You know, I feel a little bit like, ah, this is what I'm asking for, but I'm, my heart's not completely lined up. But there is a confession of trust that, that turns to a vow or a promise to praise despite what is happening. Let me illustrate this very quickly in Psalm 13. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? In that opening statement, we see this prayer, this psalm is addressed to whom? To God. To God. I'm bringing my petition and my prayer to you, God. I'm bringing my complaints, my questions to you, God. 
Uh, I'm not talking to my neighbor about it, although there's, there's a beautiful thing that happens when we're in community where we confess our sins to one another so we can be healed. We carry each other's burdens. But at the end of that, even if no one else is present, I have to bring that to God. That is the only source for something happening or something changing in my heart or in my circumstances. How long, Lord? We address God. Then we begin to lament. And notice, lament includes how we feel about God, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about others. Okay, you see this in this. How long, Lord? How long? Are you going to forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? He's saying, this is how I'm feeling about you, God. And then he says, now here's how it's affecting me. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? It's hurting me, God. I'm feeling this. I don't know where you are. And then, um, like as I mentioned, some of those petitions and confession, those elements may be present in all Psalms. Here we don't see a confession necessarily other than he is pouring out his heart, but there's not an expressed uh, confession in this as you might see in Psalm 51. But he moves to petition and he says, look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And then he continues, and my enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So he's talked to God, he's talked about himself and he's saying, hey, my enemies are gonna get the upper hand. This is what I feel like others and how it's, how it's gonna play out if you don't answer. But he's like, please answer me. Please give me revelation. Give, me, give light to my eyes. Help me understand what is going on. And he addresses all of this but then there's the confession of trust. In verse 5, he says, But, but I trust. But I trust. That will preach any day of the week. But I trust. In your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. And there's this promise to praise, to worship despite. I will sing the Lord's praise because he has been good to me. We sing because he's worthy, not because everything is perfect. Amen. We sing because he's good not because my circumstances are great. And so let's apply this now to Psalm 42 and 43. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there because this will help you to, to, uh, to just look at this together and you can feel free to make notes. Uh, Psalm 42 and 43, I'm gonna put this word yet next to this. This would be a good word to write in your Bible if you're a note taker in your Bible because this is a good reminder to us that even though I don't see it yet, I have a response to choose. And in the Hebrew Bible, we're, we're, we're addressing both Psalm 42 and 43, and we're going to read this together as one psalm, because in the Hebrew Bible, Psalm 42 and 43 is one continuous psalm. You'll hear it expressed in this idea. Let's read Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet, there's that word, I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore... I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. We sang, we sang that in the good, as we were singing about the good, good father. As you call me deeper still, 
deeper still into love. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. My foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? You hear this back and forth. Back and forth. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Notice in the very first verse, he addresses God. He addresses God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Now, the psalmist is painting a very vivid picture here. When I think of an animal panting, what do you think of? Like a dog. Like if I think of Stanley. Stanley's sitting out on the back deck. He hasn't done very much, but he's been sitting in the hot sun, and he starts to pant to cool down. (laughs) You know? He's just trying to cool down. Or maybe he's played a little catch, and he's a little winded, and he really wants a little bit of water, and he's panting. Okay, that is not the picture that the, that the psalmist is painting here. A deer will get 90% of its water from vegetation, from the food that it eats. It has a very keen sense of smell. It can smell water up to a quarter mile away. This deer is not panting because it's out of breath or winded or just a little hot. A deer pants for water, specifically, when it is chasing after or being chased that is either in pursuit of something, like a, a mate. I watched two squirrels today just running around. I'm, I'm like, wow. Okay. So it's, <laughs> it's chasing after or it's being pursued by a hunter or predator. So this deer is in extreme circumstances. It is running after the thing it wants or it is being chased by the thing it hopes to avoid. And it's running. And if a deer does not get to water when it's when its reserve of water has been depleted, it will die. It's that desperate. That is the picture of a deer panting for water. This deer will die if it doesn't get to water. And the the psalmist says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul. He's drawing a direct spiritual parallel to what is going on in his life. And he's saying in this moment, I've gone through all of my reserves. I'm being pursued. I'm depleted. I'm exhausted. I have no reserves left. And if I don't get to water soon, I will die. We run when we're in pursuit. There are all kinds of things we chase after and we expend all of our energy. But there are times when we are in pain. We run when we're in pursuit, we run when we're in pain, and when we are in pain, we run in one of two ways. We either run toward God, or we turn and we run as fast as we can away from God, because we don't understand. 
We run when we're in pursuit, we run when we're in pain. We run in one of two ways, and laments are helpful to us because they're honest expressions of pain. I'm hurting, but they direct our attention back to God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I've gotta get to the water. Do you ever feel that desperate for God? I've got to get to the water. God alone is the source of our refreshing. And when we are facing tough, bewildering circumstances or running hard in pursuit, we must stop and replenish. We must allow our natural thirst. Maybe I'm not even feeling so thirsty, but I know I need water. If you're in a time when you're not even feeling very thirsty for God, drink anyway until your natural thirst returns. Laments in that way become acts of faith that say, despite what's happening in my life, I'm looking for you, God. Despite what's happening in my life, I trust you, God. And so it brings us to the lament, again, with God, self, and others. Here he he continues in verses 3 and 4, 9 and 10, and in 43, 2. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He said, I'm weary from taunting. People are saying, where's your God? Is your God going to show up now? Where's your God? Where's your God? You're trusting in God. Where's your God? He said, I used to have a home. I used to feel protected. I used to have a community. I was among the festive throng of people. I used to have community. There was once a time when I could celebrate and feel joy. And then he says, I feel like you've forgotten me, God. I'm mourning. I feel like my enemies have the upper hand. I'm in pain physically. I'm in pain emotionally. My enemies won't stop and they just continue taunting me. Where's your God? I'm feeling all this pain, and they're still asking me, where's your God? And maybe I'm asking the same question too. Where, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And then 43.2, he says, I feel rejected by you, God. I feel rejected by you, God. Not just others, but by you. This is personal. I'm oppressed, I'm hurting, I'm grieving. And it's in the middle of this lament that he continues with this beautiful, rich verse that paints the picture, again, of the dear And the waters, as the deer pants, so my soul longs. And he says, in verse 7, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. All of them have swept over me. Now imagine that this deer is being chased, okay? It knows it needs to get to water. It's not going to have enough reserves to make it. Instinctively, it knows where the water is because it can smell it. And intuitively, because of the senses, it can hear the water before it can see the water. But it's getting to water. But imagine it comes to the water, and instead of it being this very calm stream or pond to drink from, what the water source looks like instead is a waterfall. A chaotic, turbulent water source. And he says, I've come to you, and my heart is crying out, deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls. This is not a beautiful glacial runoff. This is a a powerful water source that he's brought to to be replenished in. And then he continues with this turbulent image, all your waves and your breakers have swept over me. If you have kayaked, if you have surfed, or if you've just watched the old movie Castaway, right? When he's trying to get off the desert island and he's got to get past all of those waves and breakers. He's got to first go through the turbulence to get to the, the, the calmer water on the other side of that. Waves and breakers form when it's hitting shallower places or shelves or ridges. And depending on the velocity of the water, hitting each of those places 
it determines how powerful those waves and breakers are. Is it just gentle and rolling, or is it just going to be, I'm going to crush you? And the psalmist is saying, you're bringing me to the water. My heart is crying out deep to deep, but you're putting me in a situation where I keep getting knocked down, knocked down, knocked down. I stand back up, I'm getting knocked down. I stand back up, I'm getting knocked down. And here's where we see something really powerful. Sometimes the places God leads us to drink deeply from are the same places we feel could endanger or destroy us. And this is where we see this paradox. A paradox is when two seemingly contradictory things are happening at the same time. Or when a person has qualities. They have qualities that seem to be contradictory and I don't understand. And this is where we're confronted with a paradox. Our God is both tough and tender. He leads us to these places, but sometimes it's the places I wouldn't choose. Our God is both tough and tender. So are good parents. So are good friends. When they, when they need to tell you something that you may not want to hear, and I would rather them say, man, good job, you're going the right way, or, you know, it's your, everything will be okay. But instead, he puts you in a situation where you're going, man, I, I don't get it. And I feel like it's the most brutal circumstance I could be in right now. I don't, I don't get it. Proverbs 27 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. If you're in that situation, sometimes in our desire to drink deeply from God, we have a lot to push through. The hurts, habits, and hangups that we have to deal with. The despair, the disillusionment, the pain. We've got to work through it. and We've got to be honest with the Lord, with ourselves, about how we're feeling but it's in that place of wrestling and contradiction, even though it feels like it could overwhelm us, it is also the safest place to be. Do you hear me? It is the safest place to be. We choose our response. We either run toward God and say, I'll drink from the water in this place that you've led me. Or I turn away from the water and I die. It's vital or it's fatal. And I don't have to wait till things get better. Things are always going to be outside of our control, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's a gift. But I can always choose my response. And the laments help us have that language by giving us a process to express that. They provide a roadmap through four things, confession, petition, trust, and praise. Confession, petition, trust, and praise. And it's at that crossroads where we decide whether we're going to follow this roadmap out of despair or turn away. So confession. Psalmist says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. These things I remember. All the things I've complained to you about as I pour out my soul. I'm just going to confess. This is everything that's going on in my head, in my heart, in my life, in my relationships, in my finances, in my physical body. These are all the things I'm, I'm facing. And as you lament about God, yourself, and others, be honest about God. Be honest about yourself. Be honest about others. But also be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. That's the gift of community that we see in, in Galatians 6 2. That's why we have teams of people, couples, and individuals that are available to pray after the services every single week because there are times when it's like I'm carrying something so heavy. I need the community of God. I need the family of God to help support me in prayer, to help remind me of what's true about God, myself, and others. Sometimes to speak a word I may not want to hear, but I really need to be reminded of right now. That's why we pray. Carry each other's burdens. 
Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, James 5 says. There's healing that comes. Three times in Psalms 42 and 43, he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And this is not just a a chiding, like, get over it. You know, just get tough. Just try to muscle through this. No, he's speaking to his soul. Say, God, I'm bringing my petition to you, but soul, I've got to be honest, you are, you're despair. You're, You're downcast. You're sad. That is what is true. Confess what is true about you, God, and others. Confess what you truly feel about God, yourself, and others. Confess what you wish was true about God, yourself, and others. Bring it all in the lament. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Can we just say that together? My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. He's choosing his response in this moment. And he begins a petition. Petition is simply, what do you want or desire? State it. State it. He says, vindicate me, my God. Plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, my God. Hmm. To God, my joy and my delight. My joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, oh God, my God. He's saying, I need you to take up my case. Be my defender. Vindicate me. Set things right. Help me to see as you see. Send me your light. He says that. Send me your light and take care of me so that I can do that. He makes his petitions known and that we are encouraged to, say, to do the same. Philippians encourages us when we pray to come to God and to make your petitions and requests known and when we do that and trust him with it, the God of peace takes over in that moment. And we can turn toward a response of trust. Now, it's here that sometimes we will raise our hands and protest and say, but you don't understand my circumstances. And you are right. I don't understand everything that you're going through. I know my own circumstances. I know the circumstances I've walked through in my life. I know some of you are walking through such pain that I can't even imagine But in this place, we don't have to have a happy Christian, happy life facade. We can speak what is true among the people of God and not just say, well, I'm blessed. Okay? Now here, listen to this, okay? This is not a denial of reality, and this is really important. Okay, we can be intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually honest about the things that we go through. We don't get a pass when it comes to pain. But there is a huge difference between saying, everything's okay, and I'm blessed, and I live in denial. Or I can say, everything's wrong, and I'm blessed. I can say that statement with full confidence and trust that I know, even though I don't have the full picture, I know that God is for me that his ways are higher than my ways, that he understands things from a perspective. And so you can say, I'm blessed. And it'd be absolutely true, even if you don't feel a word of it. You absolutely can have that confession of trust in God because I see that. And the difference is a little implied word in between that. I'm blessed because nothing's wrong, right? Nothing's wrong. So, like cause and effect, because everything... 
I, didn't, I don't see that anything's wrong. Everything's good. Happy Christian, happy life. Or I can say, everything's wrong, yet. Everything's wrong, yet. I am blessed. I'm blessed. We surrender to God, and he tells us so, put your hope in God. You gotta return to that place of, of expressing faith and trust and confidence and hope in God. The stuff of earth, the stuff of heaven. And when I surrender, when I put my hope in God, I choose to take my hands off trying to control or fix myself, my situation, or others. Say, my hands are off, God. I trust you. I trust what you're doing, even though I don't get it. I trust. And when I trust God, I don't live in denial, but I also refuse to live in despair. Satan is the enemy of your soul. Jesus makes it plain in John 10 that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus gives you an alternate. He gives you a way out. And he says, but I came so that you could have life, abundant life, life to the full. And so when I surrender, I trust that. I trust that God has a plan for me, that he is doing good things in my life. And it's then that my confidence, my identity, and my courage are restored. When I surrender, when I trust, my mind is renewed by truth because my confidence is placed in something that transcends the things that I can see. This is the life of faith. Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, says, we won't change our minds, won't revise our attitudes until someone changes our circumstances. We refuse to budge until someone moves a mountain. Our lives shuttle between an alternation of if only, what if, and as soon as, but this is not how God works. This is be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Under God's economy, nothing really changes until our minds do. Transformation is the fruit of a changed outlook. First, our minds are renewed, then we are transformed, and then everything is different, even if it stays the same. Everything is different, even if it stays the same. God is more interested in changing your thinking than in changing your circumstances. That's the truth in love. There, there is the wound of a friend more than the kiss of an enemy, right? He wants you to have the same attitude as in the very mind of Jesus Christ that we see in Philippians 2. And to pull that off as a miracle larger than splitting oceans or tossing mountains into them, it's akin to raising the dead. Yet this is the daily occupation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's his daily work in us to lead us into all truth, reminding us of the things Christ taught, taking the things of Christ and making them known to us again. And this is the one area above all where we are urged to keep in step with the Spirit, to move in the direction he's moving, so that seeing differently, we are free to live differently. Amen. So that seeing differently, we are free to live differently. When I truly trust in God, I learn new ways of responding to the realities of my life. I stop trying to manipulate God with my performance or my productivity or my perfection or my good behavior. I drop the defensiveness and the you owe me's and if only's and should have or it's your fault because in my words and my action, I can drop all of that and become more gracious, loving, and resilient. That's the work of the Spirit in each of us. I give others the benefit of the doubt. Trust looks like stop looking for and expecting others' approval and affirmation. Trusting God means I become less self-focused and more others aware. I begin to believe that God does have a hopeful future for me and because he's my creator, because he loves me, because he understands things from a much different perspective than I do, I begin to act like I believe he might know better what will actually bring me joy. I begin to accept his nose. 
and the not yet's and his tough rebukes as much as I treasure his tenderness. I choose to trust the promise that he will never leave me or forsake me. I choose gratitude and thanksgiving over offending others or taking on offense. I let it go. I drop it. I'm not going to carry it any longer. I choose to trust you, God. I trust you, God. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows sometimes. He leads me beside peaceful streams sometimes. He renews my strength. He knows the right path and will guide me along that path for my life so that it brings honor to his name. And even when I walk in valleys of shadow of death, not if, but when, I will not be afraid because he's close with us. His rod and his staff protect and comfort me. Even in the presence of my enemies, he lays out a banqueting table. Even if I find myself in that place, He's got a banquet table, a feast waiting for me. He honors me when I feel disgraced by anointing my head with oil so I don't have to hang my head in shame because my cup is overflowing with blessings. Surely, there's that confidence, that trust. Surely, your goodness and love are going to pursue me every day of my life and I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. You see, one of the reasons people struggle so much with surrendering their lives to God and learning to live in their ways is because they want control. That is the greatest illusion, the illusion of control. The waves, the breakers, the hard times, they come. And they want to make sure that they are in control as much as possible so they can avoid pain and hardship and those circumstances. And in doing so, they end up walking further away from the only thing that could bring consolation. They end up walking further away from it, and all they're going to have to do is retrace their steps at some point to come face-to-face with God. But in the process, in fighting for control, they end up just going in circles, going nowhere. It's like the kid who's, who's fighting the nap. Have you ever seen that? A child just cries and wails, and I don't want to go down. I'm not doing it. I'm not. And you're like, if you would just give up, if you would just go to sleep, then rest would come. Then rest comes. When we surrender and we let him do what he needs to do. You don't have control and neither do I. And as people of faith, we recognize that God knows best. Part of, part of my summer playlist, part of the songs that I've been listening to recently, both of us have, are songs by Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was uh, an artist in the 80s and 90s. And there are a lot of songs that you may be familiar with, even if you didn't know who it was that that wrote the songs, uh, songs like If I Stand or um, Our God is an Awesome God, Um, songs like Hold Me Jesus, Hold Me Jesus. I love the words of it. Rich Mullins was a complicated character. He He had a complicated relationship with God. He struggled with alcoholism his entire life. There were times when his relationship with the Lord was really solid and sound and sometimes when it was wavering, but he penned some of the most honest lyrics that expressed this. And in the song, Hold Me Jesus, it says, sometimes my life just don't make sense at all. When the mountains look so big and my faith just seems so small. And the chorus says, hold me Jesus, I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? And then he continues in the song, surrender, don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give and I need. 
And I beat my head against so many walls. I'm falling down. I'm falling on my knees. That is the, the, the picture of surrender. It doesn't come natural to us. We want to fight with everything we've got. And I'd rather fight you for something I think I want than to take what you're actually giving and you know what will bring me rest, what will bring me joy, what will bring me wholeness, what will bring me integrity. And I end up beating my head against every single wall until I choose to surrender. I fall on my knees before you. Just surrender. Hand over control to God. Put your hope in God and rest in him. What is keeping you from surrender today? What is keeping you from surrender? I want to give you two quick pictures of surrender, one that's kind of at ground level and one that's a little higher up. You have two options for surrender. Picture again that the waves, the breakers, that picture that has been sitting with us throughout this morning. Recapture that, that image. As we mentioned, when, when waves and breakers form, that turbulence happens because it's hitting shallower and shallower areas or a, a ridge or, or some sort of uh, shelf. And it creates this, this moment where the velocity of the water can't just continue to go, but it has to stop and then it crashes over, okay? That's the picture that we have in our mind. Now, if you are paddling out, or again, you know, think castaway, if you've, if you've never had this physical opportunity to experience something like this, there, depending on the velocity of the water, how fast it's coming depends on how challenging those breakers are going to be to get over, right? That makes sense. Law of physics is amazing. God is so smart, right? He's just so smart. We can observe creation and see this. Now, you have two options for a surrender response in that moment. One of the biggest mistakes a kayaker or a surfer can make when they see the waves coming is to lose momentum. There are times when instead of turning away from the wave, which would just roll you over, you need to turn directly into it and you need to accelerate. You need to paddle harder. You need to get through that because the fun is going to be on the other side. So that's one response. There are times when you need to turn straight into it and say, regardless, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to slow down. And you come to the other side of it. But sometimes that water is so turbulent that you can't and shouldn't Try to, try to punch through it. And it's a judgment call. There are times when you see the conditions and it gets closer and closer and you're going, I'm not going to be able to do it. And you shouldn't. And so you turn to it and that's where the Eskimo roll comes in. The Eskimo roll in, county, in, in kayaking or the turtle roll in surfing. You actually grip that. You kind of lift your chest up and you just say, I give up. You go under the water and you are trained not to stay under the water. It shouldn't knock you over and make you drown. You are intended to train for these moments when they come so that you can surrender to it and actually go deeper, right? Let the wave pass you by, come up on the other side, and keep going. Both are valid responses. Paddle harder or roll under it and go deeper. You have two choices, and depending on the circumstances, both are valid. Going deeper under the wave is not the same as giving up, right? The other one, a little higher, my, my nephew, Wade, just finished his pilot training. And in the training process, there is a, a specific type of training called recovering from an unusual attitude. Has anybody ever heard of that? Coincidence? Again, God is so smart. Um, recovering from an unusual attitude. Sometimes this is referred to as recovering from an unintended or an unexpected attitude. Attitude is just the condition, the position of the plane. Nose up, nose down, that, this is up, this is down, 
Nose up, nose down. But you're in a situation where you lose control. It could be a mechanical situation, wind, weather. Lots of things can put you in an unusual attitude, an unintended or unexpected attitude. Now, part of training for this, because this is a reality of flying. If you want to fly, you are going to face these unintended attitudes or unexpected attitudes, unusual attitudes. So the instructor prepares you by disorienting you. You go up in the plane with your instructor, the instructor covers your eyes or blindfolds you in some way, and then takes you through a series of maneuvers and dives and up and, you know, rolls to disorient you. Then they remove whatever's covering your eyes or you open your eyes and you have to recover from an unusual attitude. You have to quickly assess the situation and decide what you need to do. And the key to recovery is either powering up or powering down depending on the situation. If you're nose up, you need to accelerate into it and you need to pour on the power. But if you are nose down, how many of you know you don't want to accelerate in that position? You need to decrease power. <laughs> Both are surrender responses depending on the conditions. Depending on the conditions. And after disorienting and getting control, you've got to make a decision. What is the, the right response in this situation? Now, this, this is directly from the FAA handbook. Now, see the spiritual parallels here. Here are the common error or, or fail points that a pilot has to recover from in this moment. Failure to keep the airplane properly trimmed. And here's what, how it reads. A flight deck interruption when holding pressure can easily lead to inadvertent entry into unusual attitudes. In other words, I get distracted. That's why they don't allow you to go talk to the pilot and say, is this turbulence? Is this a they don't let you go to the flight deck. Because any distraction, when those circumstances hit, could be fatal. When you're holding pressure. Second, disorganized flight deck. Hunting for charts, logs, computers can seriously distract attention from the instruments. Now notice, they're, they're pointing you to the instruments for recovery. Something that is objective. Not just what I feel, because the pilot you know, can, can lose sight of the horizon or think they're seeing and not. You can't trust what you're seeing, what you're feeling. You need to trust the instrument. But if you have a disorganized flight deck, it's like, I don't know, where's my Bible? Where's the, you know? You need to have a life that is, that is characterized by the spiritual disciplines that help ground you so you're prepared for these times. The third one, slow cross-check and fixations. Here's how it reads. The impulse to stop and stare when you're in that condition when noting an instrument discrepancy, unless a pilot has trained enough to develop the skill it required for immediate recognition. So sometimes we get in that situation, and we're going, something's wrong, but then we just kind of stop and stare, like we just kind of freeze. Pilot can't do that. You have to be able to recover quickly, trusting the instruments so that you can develop the skills over training to respond quickly. Attempting to recover by sensory sensations other than sight. Again, the importance of trusting the instruments. Not what I can see, not what I can feel, but I'm going to trust what is objectively true. Know the word. Know the word of God. Failure to practice basic instrument skills. All of the errors noted in connection with basic instrument skills are aggravated during un unusual attitude recoveries until the elementary skills have been mastered. So you ask yourself, why am I facing this situation again? Why isn't God coming through? There is a preparation and a process that is necessary for you to be able to learn how to fly. We have to learn to trust the process. 
Because the instructor knows you are going to be in circumstances that are going to be beyond your control. And you've got to find a way and learn how to recover from that unusual attitude. The disorienting circumstances are necessary for our training, and the instructor knows that. It's vital or it's fatal. You choose. But if you want to fly, you have to trust the process, and you've got to trust the instructor. You trust the instructor. The instructor's entire reason for teaching you and you signing up for that course is so you can learn how to fly. But listen to me. That instructor will never put you in a situation that is beyond their control to recover from. Your heavenly father will never put you in a situation that he doesn't have the ability to help you recover from. Your life is not out of control. Oh no, you're in preparation. You are in preparation. The disorienting, confusing circumstances of our life are intended to prepare us for futures that only he can see. But he knows how to take care of you. And so we trust God even when we don't see. And Jesus himself faced that. He told us very clearly, you're going to have to surrender. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and you're going to have to follow me into a way that you wouldn't want to go. And that's how we actually recover our lives. Mark 14 says, he told them, my soul, he's talking to his friends at the, at the moment of coming to the cross. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He's honest. And he asked them to keep watch with him. And then he went on a little further, fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him. Ah, but Father, he cried out. Everything's possible for you. I trust you. Please take this cup away from me. There's a petition. Yet, I want what your, your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. It's that confession of trust. Laments are powerful, biblical, honest responses to God in prayer. So we address our prayer to God. We lament, we confess, we petition, we trust, and then we praise. We praise. Thank God that we can praise in an authentic way whether or not things are going well. Job prays, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what, we can worship. We can praise. We choose our response of worship. The psalmist says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Yet, that life that's lived between the now and the not yet, there's a lot of that. Right now, things may look discouraging, yet. Right now, I don't understand, yet. Right now, things look bad, yet I know with God at my side, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And between the now and the not yet, I will worship. I will worship. Everything's wrong, and I'm blessed. Everything's wrong, yet I'm blessed. Courage can look like walking into this place every single Sunday, gathering with people when you'd rather isolate, lifting your hands as a sign of surrender and just saying, God, you can take it all. You can have it all. I'll give you all of myself. I give you everything I'm concerned about. And sometimes the most courageous, holy defiance that you can exercise in those moments is a time to walk into the presence of God with other people and to say, I choose to worship I choose to sing the songs that I don't feel. I choose to listen and receive from your word even though I'm fighting you in areas of my life or I have things I need to confess. It's a place of coming with authenticity. 
when we come before him because God will never leave you alone or helpless in your darkest hour. A heart of gratitude overflows from the mouth into a life of praise because God's love is better than life. Psalm 63, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. My lips will praise you. Laments, take a sad song and make it better, if you will. They take a sad song and make it better because they're a roadmap out of despair into a life of prayer and thanksgiving and greater trust and confidence in God's love for us, his goodness that never, ever fails. Would you stand with me? Some of our, um, we always give some opportunities for reflection or for next steps, and I would like to invite people that would love to pray with you, whether you come up while we sing or you come up after the service concludes. Um, But we want to give you an opportunity to respond to God in an authentic way in this moment. So maybe a step is praying a lament, writing a lament, Whether here in this moment, you take a few minutes before you leave, we've given you an outline, the psalmist has given us an outline where you take that time to address God, to lament, to confess, to petition, to trust, to worship. And you begin to pour out your heart. Where are you struggling? Where's trust difficult for you? Start there. Start there. Think of something that is on your mind right now. God already knows it. You know it. Let's talk about it with him recovering from an unusual attitude surrender surrender you're either going to power up or you're going to power down you're either going to paddle straight into it and accelerate or you're going to go under and let it where are you what kind of circumstance are you in you have two two opportunities for surrender what's your next step what needs to happen do you need to talk to somebody maybe you need to enter a season of counseling it's done wonders in my life Maybe you need to commit to pray with somebody weekly or daily or ask them, hey, would you just text me every Wednesday morning just so I know somebody's still there and thinking of me? <laughs> Whatever it is, what is, what is your next step? Surrender, respond, talk to somebody. Have an opportunity to confess, to get back on course. Receive communion. We have communion, and sometimes that's one of the easiest ways that we can respond to say, God, I identify with you, Jesus, in your hour of suffering. You who, who chose to work your way through lament for my good. You know, the, the biggest no is also the greatest miracle that any of us have ever received. God didn't say yes to his request. I know you can. Please take this cup. God said no. Sometimes the the greatest no's that God gives us are also the greatest miracles, the beginning, the entry point for the greatest miracles in our lives. So Jesus, would you help us today? Lord, we confess that there are things that we don't understand, things that are difficult for us. But today we choose to look for you, to run to the source of water, to choose to drink deeply from the water that you have led us to, regardless of how it looks. Regardless of if we would have chosen it, Lord, we still choose you and we choose to drink deeply from the water of God. Our souls cry out for you, God, and we thank you that you have already made yourself available to us. You've already given us everything that we need. Help our hearts to trust you when we don't see. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna give you just a few moments before we leave. We're gonna sing a song 
If you would like to turn and pray with somebody next to you, maybe you want to come and just kneel and just pray quietly here. Maybe you want to come to somebody who's up here um, and just say, would you pray with me? Maybe you want to write a prayer or a confession of praise, a confession of trust. I will praise you, God, even though I don't see it. That's a great place to exercise that skill. Just say, Jesus, as you prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Give me that heart, my attitude. I may not be there yet, but I want to get there. With every breath that we're able, we can sing of the goodness of God. Because all of our life, he's been faithful. All our life, he's been good. So with every single breath, as long as I have the strength to do it, I'm going to praise God and give him thanks. Because surely his goodness and his mercy are going to pursue you every day of your life. Even in dark places, even in the presence of your enemy, his love and faithfulness is what we're depending on, not ours. He's good and he will pursue you. Thank you for being here today. I hope that you are leaving feeling encouraged, feeling like you have something to help you process with the Lord uh, in, in a real way so that you can respond to God out of a heart of thanksgiving, out of a heart that chooses confession, but to also not live in denial. To come to a place where you say, everything's wrong, yet I'm blessed. Everything's wrong, yet I'm blessed. And we are, aren't we? We are so blessed. God is good. Today as you leave, we just encourage you to, to take some moments. Some of you may not be ready to leave, and we respect that. That's great. Take time to respond. There's no rush. If you need to sit down and journal a little bit, or you want to let us know if there's a prayer request that you have, or you want to continue praying, we're going to just linger here for a moment. Uh, but you still have time to respond. So I encourage you to, to take whatever time you need now and respond before you head out the doors and face all the rest of life. It'll still be waiting for you on the other side, okay? <laughs> all right, and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. Jesus.